Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, We have some very exciting stuff to talk about and an awesome guest that Mike and I are going to bring on. But before we do that, I wanted to encourage you to check out apologetics.org. You will find articles and videos and all kinds of cool stuff in the world of apologetics. So check out apologetics.org. And if you find yourself having any questions or comments, uh, send us an email at information at apologetics.org. Well, Mike and I are very excited to bring on a guest, and you've probably heard of this guest. It is Dr. J.P. Moreland, Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Uh, Dr. Moreland, how are you? I'm doing so well and glad to be with you, brothers. We are grateful to have you here. Mike Burhau, you look comfortable. How are you? I am doing well as well. I'm excited uh, uh, to be doing this. Awesome. This is really cool. And uh, Dr. Moreland, I know you have a number of successful books in the area of philosophy and theology, uh, not just in terms of number, but in terms of of impact. Um, And and they've impacted quite a lot of people. And one of those people is not only me, but Mike Burhau. Uh, we were talking earlier um, about the way that your book, Love God with All Your Mind, had had such an impact on him early on. Um, and Mike, I don't know if you wanted to jump into that story, but... Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this uh, earlier when I sent you an email, uh, JP, but um, your book was pretty influential for me uh, as a junior in college. Uh, so I had just become a Christian. I've been a Christian for about two years at this point, uh, and I was starting to wrestle with uh, some some questions uh, and wondering if I made just kind of a crazy decision to become a Christian. And I was actually at a crew conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I was really struggling with faith at the time. I didn't want to go into any of the meetings. And I spent my whole time in a bookstore. And while I was wandering around the bookstore, I saw your book, uh, Love God with Your Love, Love Your God with Your Mind. And I was a poor college student, so I couldn't afford to buy it, but I was paging through it. Uh, and actually, right at the beginning, there was a, a quote in there. It wasn't written by you. It was in the introduction that kind of stuck out to me. Um, and it made me interested in the book. But uh, uh, the quote was, in too many places and in too many churches, a questing mind can be a plague to its owner. Uh, and the thinking woman or man seldom gets much support in the church today. Uh, and that's really where I was at. And I was paging through this thinking I wanted to buy it. Uh, but I didn't have the money, so I put the book back on its shelf. And there was a guy who was kind of watching me look at the book. I didn't know who he was, um, but I kept wandering around the bookstore for a little bit longer. And about 15 minutes later, I walk out of the bookstore, and that guy is standing there with your book, and he gave it to me. No and way. And he's just a crazy story. What and he a said, story. Yeah, he said, if you read this book, he said it made a huge impact on me and – uh, and so I read it, and it was one of the things that kept me going in the faith uh, my junior year of college. So I want to just thank you for that. Well, um, uh, listen, you guys, uh, 
that's what I live for. I mean, my, it's, it's so deeply, deeply moving to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm humbled by it and thankful. And I'm just glad I was able to help. That's all. Thank you yeah. for sharing that wonderful story and for your comments too, Nick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, while we're on that topic of that book, I, I don't want you to give away too much because I want our, our listeners to read that book and be, and be influenced by it. Um, but could you kind of summarize the main theme or themes uh, of that book and maybe how your uh, perspective has changed or developed since, what was it, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago? Yeah, it, uh, my perspective hasn't changed. Uh, but but the, the, main, the main thesis is that learning to think well and to know why you believe what you believe is a part of loving and serving God and leading a flourishing, mm. maturing Christian life. Mm. Yeah. I never said it was all there was to it. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but in that book, I was trying to emphasize one thing that's neglected, so it may look like I'm overbalanced, but I, that's right. not true of me. But that needed to be said, and that's why I said it. Would you say today that's still something that is uh, continuing, or do you feel like things, the situation in the church has gotten better? Uh, is it about the uh, same, or has it gotten good, worse? Good news and bad news. Uh, the, the good news is that there has arisen an entire population of people like you guys hmm. that are more sophisticated than ever. You guys are better trained and more informed about your faith than, than people who were sort of curious about these things 30 years ago, 40 years yeah. ago. Yeah. And your numbers are greater. I mean, so I bump into ministries all over the country that are like you guys and that are doing podcasts and making things available to people and actually having stimulating discussions. Right. Uh, the bad news is that the, that's the, the church as a collective whole has continued to be lazy in this regard mm-hmm. and to, to make excuses for themselves by saying that it's all a matter of faith anyway, where faith means just the blind choice to accept something, which is not sure. biblical faith, but, but anyway. So, so both and. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know one of the things that helped me when I was uh, first reading through your book, um, so like I said, I've only been a Christian for a couple of years, and some of the struggles that I had were uh, inside the church. Maybe I would be at a Bible study, and I would ask the uncomfortable question in the room, and the feeling that I got at the time was, we just don't talk about those things. And that was actually pushing me a little bit of, away from faith at the time. But one of the things that uh, stuck out to me in your book is that you pointed out that it wasn't just in the church. So we were living not just in an anti-intellectual church at the moment, uh, but we were also living in an anti-intellectual culture. Uh, and that's something that I found that um, was helpful for me because it wasn't just Christians who weren't using their minds. It was really everyone. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak maybe to the broader issue oh. of our culture outside of the church. Um, yeah, how, how have things changed over time? Well, it's gotten it's gotten worse, and hmm. the, the reason is that uh, uh, studies have been show, documented showing that about ninety four percent of American universities do not identify them as truth universities. That their hmm. goal is to help students get learn the truth, and thus they want to expose them. 
mm -hmm. to different viewpoints so that they can learn to reason and, and get at a conclusion that is likely to be true. Instead, they're social justice universities. Mm -hmm. And in their catalogs, their explicit purpose is to raise up and train and mobilize an army of social justice warriors. Mm -hmm. Now, what that often means is then that the faculties are so one-sided in their worldview uh, as a kind of a secular leftist progressive worldview that you get indoctrination that's going on mm -hmm. and students don't learn how to think in mm -hmm. those situations because they're not exposed to good thinkers on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so the, our universities are no longer educating, they're indoctrinating. Mm -hmm. And we find that in the culture in general, people are wanting more and more entertainment and the satisfaction of desire has replaced the search for truth mm, well, as yeah. the key to living a good life. Uh, right. So uh, it, it, it is the inevitable result. The, the lowering of the mind is the inevitable result of secularization. Hmm. Because uh, let's, in a Christian worldview, we believe that knowing the truth is important because we think that at the end of the day, truth is going to be good for us. Right. Let's suppose you're, you're an atheist. Um, first of all, one would wonder in that case how there could be such things as truths. But hmm. setting that aside, why, why would anybody want to learn what the truth is? Uh, you would want to learn some truths. Uh, if and only if those truths would be practically useful to what I want in life. So mm -hmm. if it's truths about the stock market or avoiding cancer, I can get that. But why would you want to learn truths about other things that might be bad news? Like what if you conclude there's no meaning to life? Sure. Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to know the truth about that. I'd rather pretend there is a meaning and be happy rather than learn the truth and be sad. I mean, if I was an atheist. So, uh, so there is a growing disregard for truth because the fear is that whatever truths we might find out there could end up being bad news. So why go looking for them to begin with? It's ultimately all about me. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Moreland, I, I have a question for you. First of all, I, I'm glad you said what you said. Um, Dr. Jordan Peterson had said something along the lines of uh, he thinks that secular universities now do more harm than good. Um, and I think that's highly unfortunate, but taking, I guess, the lack of knowledge in the church today, uh, what do you think the greatest danger is and how that can play out in the church or how that has played out in the church? What are the outworkings of that that we have to deal with? Number one, people in the church are easily drawn into non-Christian ideologies because they, they find there to be a sort of likability about it, like social justice. Uh, the contemporary social justice has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Now, there is a biblical form of social justice, so don't mm -hmm. hear me saying right. I'm not, I don't like to use the term social justice. I'd rather talk about biblical justice, mm -hmm. and I'm all in on that and actually trying to do something about it. But but Christians are just buying into the Black Lives Matter movement and all kinds of critical race theory because it makes them feel good about mm. uh, doing something good for people. And it's so naive and, mm. and it's so misguided and harmful, though it has got good intentions. 
but we know what the road to hell is paved with. And so I'm not saying they're going to hell. I'm just saying intentions aren't the only thing that matters. Right. Uh, I would say, secondly, um, what what is, is has happened is that people are getting their their uh, ideas from the culture and trying to reconfigure Christianity so that it will enable them to live the way they see is valued in the culture. So rather than being a countercultural community that thinks for itself, it is, it, it is an assimilationist uh, body of Christ that is assimilating uh, and reconfiguring uh, Christianity to match the culture. And, I, and those would be, and third, I think, um, we're losing our kids. Our, our kids, uh, study after study shows that the only way to keep them from going off the, the wagon is to, to help them learn why, not what they believe simply, but why, and to mm -hmm. equip them with reasons for their faith. And that, that can sustain them, but we don't, we, we don't do that. Yeah, right. I agree and, with you there. Oh, go on. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Mike's a, Mike is a teacher. Um, and some of his students, one of his students is in my youth group, and she is very well equipped. Um, she is very knowledgeable. So whatever they're doing over there is absolutely working at, at Calvary. Um, and we do something, I, I may have stolen the title from William Lane Craig, but we do a defenders group um, in our youth group at my church. And we go over a topic. Uh, and then we have time to discuss that topic and to sort of uh, see how it works out when we're going to defend these ideas um, and actually have a, a conversation about these ideas. Um, but what I've seen is that so many, not just older people, but younger people especially, are afraid to sort of bring up or even even talk about what they truly believe. Yes. But, but once you get it out in the open, they're all like, they're chopping at the bit because, because they've been waiting. They're dying to come back for the next session. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. Oh, well, I mean, uh, this isn't rocket science, let's face it. Yeah. Right. Well, and one of the things that that I've noticed, so uh, as Nick was saying, so I teach uh, at a high school uh, right now, uh, a Christian high school, where we uh, go through apologetics, theology. Good for you. Uh, be before that, I taught philosophy uh, at a state university. And I think one of the struggles that I've noticed with students, both at the state university, even within the Christian high school, uh, one of the struggles is that students have a hard time getting past religion is just opinion. And even when you look at the culture wars, uh, they look at, you know, two different perspectives going on in the culture war right now. And they just think, well, that's just everyone's opinion. And one of the things that I've so appreciated about you over the years is you've emphasized that Christianity is not about mere opinions, but it's about knowledge. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that. So yeah. how, how can we as Christians claim to have knowledge? Right. Well, so I claim that that the central contours of, of what I call mere Christianity are things that that we can know to be true. We don't have to believe them uh, with an ungrounded kind of just uh, blind faith. Uh, uh, so uh, faith has literally nothing to do with knowing that these truths are in fact true. Now, faith comes in, in, in at the level of uh, committing oneself to them or embracing mm -hmm. the relational connection with God and his forgiveness. But that's a different matter. So now 
the first the way to approach this, Mike, is to try to understand what knowledge is. And I'll make I'll just give you a quick definition of two kinds of knowledge um, that are relevant to this. Uh, the first, mm -hmm. one, and this is all in Love Your God With All Your Mind. I have a revised version of it that's out. Mm -hmm. um, the first is what's called knowledge by acquaintance. And that is just knowing something just by being directly aware of it. For example, a little child can can be directly aware or see an apple. Now, he, the little child might not know it is an apple. They might not uh, have the concept of an apple yet, so they don't. They're not able to recognize it's an apple, and they wouldn't be able to form the thought, "Hey, that object, that thing on the table is an apple." Okay, they're not there yet, but they still, prior to concepts and thinking. We have experience, direct awareness, in this case, sensory experience, that allows me to be directly aware of the apple and some of its attributes. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, I could be aware that it's round, that it's colored red, uh, that it tastes a certain way and smells a certain way. Its surface has a certain texture to it because I sense all those. Now, the important thing about knowledge by direct acquaintance is that it goes far beyond the senses. And this has been tr held by a huge tradition in philosophy going all the way back to Plato. For mm -hmm. example, uh, necessary truths, truths that are true but could not have been false, mm -hmm. especially things like the truths of logic and mathematics, like two plus two is not only happens to be four, but it has it's necessarily right. four. And modus ponens, if it's raining outside, then it's wet, and it's raining, therefore it's wet. Right. That is a truth, that, that that's a law that even God can't break. That's just mm -hmm. a necessary truth. Now, the basic, the, 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 the best explanation of how we know these things is by non-sensory direct intuition or awareness. Mm -hmm. It's called rational intuition. That is, we are directly aware of the numbers and, their, and the sum relation or the law of logic itself. And through direct awareness, we can simply, quote, see that it's true. I can't, mm -hmm. Just let me keep going for time's sake. Mm -hmm. The knowledge of what's going on inside of me, I know, by direct into introspective mm -hmm. awareness. But that's not sensory. And I can have a, a, a knowledge of in my opinion, more fundamental moral values by being aware of certain acts and intuitively aware of its feature of goodness. Mm -hmm. And we can have direct experiences of God and demons and angels. I have had experiences where I was directly aware of the presence of demons in a large mm -hmm. basketball auditorium. And I looked and three guys came in and I, when I felt this evil presence and I noticed where they sat and after I went to them after the meeting, they were, I found out they were there from a cult that, and they were going to try to disrupt the meeting. They were demonized like crazy and I sensed that presence. And I've had mm -hmm. other experiences where I or other people have been aware of angels. There have been times and this is happening all over the world. There have been times, I have a book coming out uh, in October called A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, where I document mm -hmm. angelic appearances and all kinds of things that are credible. I thoroughly vetted them. And so we can have a direct experience of God. And I can be aware of some of his attributes, like there are times in worship or at home when I'm on my knees deep in prayer. This doesn't happen all the time. Mm 
But when God has shown up, and I've been aware of the presence of, of another subject that is aware of me, of a per, not a thing, but of a I-Thou connection, mm-hmm. and that this being has certain traits. He's really, he's big. Uh, I can tell he's overwhelmingly powerful, but he's, right. he, I, he's kind and good. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's a feeling of warmth and love that comes from him. So now I can have knowledge of God that way. Now, the second form of knowledge is called propositional knowledge. Mm-hmm. And this is a true belief that's based on adequate grounds. So um, uh, if, I, if a historian knows that, that George Washington was the first president of the United States, first of mm-hmm. all, that has to be true. If he found out later that he thought it was true, but it turned out to be false, he would withdraw his claim to know it. Uh, secondly, he has to believe it. If, if he knows it, it, it doesn't make any sense to say, well, I know that that's true, but I don't believe it. Uh, so, But a true belief alone is not enough because you can have a true belief that's get lucky. You, you inherited it from your parents or you made a guess and it turned out your belief was true and you did believe it, but it was just luck that you got the right belief. So knowledge is a true belief that's based on adequate grounds and the historian has a true belief about Washington and his grounds or his his study of uh, congressional records at that time and newspapers, uh, articles and writings of people and, and so on. Now, the important thing to know about propositional knowledge is that you don't have to be certain to know something. Mm-hmm. Notice I said it's a true belief based on adequate grounds, not certifying or 100% certain grounds. So the idea that you could know something, but in two months, given even further research, you could know it even more strongly makes sense. Paul says in one place, this I want you to know with, with certainty. And that assumes that you could know this, but not be assured completely Mm -hmm. of it. So knowledge is a degreed thing. And I'd say if, you're, if your grounds are like 75, 25, so that you, you know, then you know something. But, but here's what's important. You can know that something is true while at the same time having doubts about it, having, mm-hmm. having things that you don't know the answer to or don't know how to explain yet. That doesn't mean that you don't know it. It just means that you know it, but not to the degree you could. And you could know it even more. So um, I think that the grounds for believing in God are are, are adequate to transform that true belief into knowledge. I think the grounds for the resurrection of Jesus and for the reality of miracles, as my new book is going to show in a maybe a fresh way, mm-hmm. is, is adequate uh, for me to claim to know that that happened. I know there's life after death uh, because mm-hmm. I have read probably 50 or 60 books on near-death experiences, and 90% of them are consistent with Christianity. And in some of those experiences, people know things that, are, that happen down in the hospital cafeteria or or what their parents and uh, siblings were doing at home, Mm -hmm. uh, or the procedures that were going on while they were brain dead. And they were able to recount all this 
to doctors and nurses and they were verified and true and there's no way they could have known it by just their brain dying and and i can't there 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 are so many cases of that that it's beyond any reasonable doubt that that a number of these stories are true some of them may not be but there's a lot of them so i know i know by the way some things are right and some things are wrong uh you can also know things without knowing how you know them you don't have to always know how you know things in order to know them if you did, that would lead to an infinite regress. Uh, you'd have to know how you know how you know them and so on. Well, Dr. Moreland, uh, thank you so much once again. We're just about out of time, uh, but thank you so much for being here. We would love to have you back at some I point. I will come this, back. This I'm has coming. gone up. Oh, awesome. This has gone back by, by way too fast. Uh, Mike Burhau and Dr. J.P. Moreland, thank you again so much for being here. This has been a great time. Uh, and thank you for listening. We'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door.